0: episode 406 of retro encounter rpg fans weekly podcast on many topics i'm mike solosi and listeners uh maybe you listened to us last week the four of us um were really excited to play dragon age 11 oh no it happened already already it already (laughs) happened wow i even said I i was trying not to do it but uh, Listeners, we played Dragon Quest 11 <laughs> in the months of January and February, uh, and all four of us are excited to talk about it. Uh, but let's introduce the rest of the panel, starting with Wes Islef. Hi, everybody. And Tin Manuel. Hi. And Gio Castillo. Hello. Geo, Tin Wes. I'm really going to try and, and save Dragon <laughs> Quest and not Dragon Age for this whole episode. It's already happened a couple times in the pre-show. Uh, But but it's my fault for trying to play literally four games with Dragon in the title all all around the same window. Um, But right now we're going to live in Dragon Quest XI, continuing our Year of the Dragon episodes in 2024. We talked all about the Act 1 of Dragon Quest XI last week. And since then, um, we've all made it through Act 3. And I, I know we're excited to talk about it. But uh, uh, t- I think it's true for both you, for both of you, Geo uh, and Tin. You finished playing it for the first time. Is that right?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yep. Awesome. So uh, I guess uh, you, you just your overall feelings, positive or negative, or what have
2: you. Uh, I was emotional. I I cried at the end, and it wasn't even that like sad or anything, but just like you really feel the weight of the series, of like the whole legacy of the series at the end. Of Act Three, and it's <laughs> I, I I just I couldn't help it. Like I just I love every single second of Act Three and I think I came away thinking, oh, this is like my favorite Dragon Quest game or and like one of my favorite games of all time. I love the cast, I love the story, and it was just very rewarding. Uh, I, I got the platinum actually, and it was like I didn't regret like all 127 hours of it. <laughs>
0: that that's basically how i felt in uh 2018 playing this for the first time i uh I, I got the platinum trophy i played it for over 110 hours and uh i was so overwhelmed that it i i feel like it was it became one of my favorites then too and Gio, i think the last time you and i were on a podcast not about dragon quest i think it was a it was those bloodborne episodes so we just we just keep talking about your favorite games of all time on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah li- living in the ps4 together yeah i think we we could do a lot worse um, but uh, uh, Tin, I know that you, you're also playing Dragon Quest Eleven for the first time. Uh, what What were your feelings after finishing Act Three? Uh,
3: compared to a lot of you guys in here who has played a lot of the past Dragon Quest titles, uh, I also got very emotional. <laughs> like, not even in, in n- not even just the ending, but like the entire time <laughs> I was playing this game. Like just the pacing of it and the storytelling and uh, the the fact that every character in this game is important and just it's like the complete um, RPG game that has uh, that really emphasizes a lot when it comes to companions and uh, party. Uh, mechanics so eh, i think i I, i've been missing out not playing uh the other dragon quest titles so i'm i'm super glad i gave this a shot and this actually this podcast like pushed me also to finally know what what the fuss is all about (laughs) why everyone in rpg fan seems to be talking about it
0: not everyone an rpg fan because there's there's a couple of people i could mention by name right now who openly disdain this game and I, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I won't i, I won't say any of their It'll names no no it, <laughs> it, 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 it's plural and not just one specific host of random encounter um but uh but yeah yeah I, I, like uh, and ten i'm 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 almost worried for you cuz if you try to go back and play the older dragon quest games you're going to be going through the road to rone and dragon quest 2 and being like Oh man, I I I miss Jade and Veronica and, Ser- and Serena. <laughs> uh, but because um, you really did uh, w- pick one of the best ones to play for the first time, mm-hmm. and and yeah, it, it's I, I I I think we're gonna be revisiting this a, a while. I don't think there's a lot of wasted space in the dra- world of Dragon Quest XI because every city you visit, something new was happening yeah. there in act one versus act two versus act three and re and revisiting and, and retrying things you did is almost always rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Wes, this was not your first time playing dragon quest no. 11. Uh, I, I think it was, am I remembering correctly? This is your third run.
4: Uh, yes, this is my third complete run.
0: Right. So, uh, how did, what feelings are going through your uh, mind and heart <laughs> 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 replaying this game for the podcast?
4: I feel like this solidified, the game as maybe my favorite RPG of the last decade because it's ultimately like everything that you would want out of a modern interpretation of the classic RPG. And we don't get a lot of that specific mix nowadays, weirdly enough, where you get something that executes on the level of a classic RPG, the traditional structure and combat and everything, but reevaluated in a way that makes sense to modern times that, isn't slow in plotting like modern games trying to harken back to old school games have a lot of troubles with ignoring, you know, uh, trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that those old games can fall into. And dragon quest 11 does it deftly effortlessly. And I think it's a absolutely phenomenal game uh, as a result of that.
0: And I mean, every decision that they made in dragon quest 11, feels like they're trying to nudge the series forward into the modern era like you can ride around your horse on the map and just and just plow through weaker enemies or avoid enemies easily instead of being uh chained to random encounters the combat is pretty snappy and fast moving and in the s version onwards you can even uh, put a fast forward option to make the animations go 50 percent faster and uh and fast travel is crazy easy they cut out a lot of the fluff that makes RPGs seem old so that even when Dragon Quest XI's pacing is a little slow, especially at the beginning, um, I, I feel like once you sort of feel a groove, it, it it really moves quickly, even though if you do most of the things that there are to do, you, you could easily cross the 100-hour mark, as, as Geo alluded to earlier. But uh, let's just jump right into the plot because... Act, we, we talked all about Act 1 in the previous episode and the eight core characters and a lot of the goings-on in the Dragon Quest XI world. Uh, in Act 2 is where everything changes. At the start of Act 2, um, the world is sort of ruined. Um, there's uh, If you're playing the S version, you do um, sort of side interludes with, uh, with Jade, Eric, and Sylvando um, in, in sort of like mini-quests uh, mini to learn about what, what happened to them uh in the uh in the break between act one and two but that's not in the ps4 version uh and and, and you know they're pretty good like they give you uh, a little bit of extra context it, it's it doesn't make it what happens jade any less messed up <laughs> though but uh the, the gist of it is um the hero was thrown into the ocean he was saved by the uh by the mermaid queen who turns him into a fish and i, and I have to admit i i laughed out loud when <laughs> you know you wake up and you're just a fish staring into a mirror <laughs> Blue fish. Yeah, it's, it's like, lol, <laughs> you're a fish. <laughs> um, and you eventually uh get back onto shore with some guidance from the mermaid queen, and you find your way back to Cobblestone, the starting town of the game, which is where the king of Heliodor has now come to his senses. He uh, the Mortigon, the demon lord that was possessing him, has now taken over the entire world. Mortigon, voiced by Takuya Kuroda in the Japanese version. So I've been playing. I've been. I, interacting with Kazuma Kiryu's voice a lot this <laughs> month. Um, and the world is shrouded in darkness because uh, uh, the power of the purple orb is now contained inside a monster that makes it permanently nighttime around the world. And the first boss of act two is defeating that boss so that the day night cycle can return. But on um, the, uh, the king of Heliodor is residing in cobblestone. And so is Hendrik Hendrik, uh, the knight who was one of your um, pursuers in act one has now realized that no no the the luminary really wasn't a monster he was the hero all along and he teams up with you uh in protecting cobblestone from uh, the demon army and then you defeat uh the the, the skeleton knight at the um at that's in Heliodor castle and you the uh, daylight returns to the world and hendrik becomes your first party member in act 2 so we didn't we we sort of avoided talking about hendrik in the in the part one of this podcast uh, starting with you, uh, let's say ten. Like, um, what was your reaction to, uh, to Hendrik joining the good guys?
3: Oh, um, I I was actually glad that they added him, um, because um, his buffs are so good, are <laughs> so helpful. Rather, like compared to Act One, it's like uh, also playing. Um, it was a lot easier, like fighting, uh, enemies overall. And actually, there's a bit of a challenge already. And at first, as well, during the Act 1, I was, I was kind of annoyed at him. Like, he was just this knight who was just following orders and stuff. And, like, it, what makes you think that he, uh, the, the Luminary is, like, the bad guy? <laughs> like, he was really just under the command of um, the King Cornelia. So, I find him annoying at as first as in Act One, but yeah, I'm I'm glad he it, it uh, things turned around in Act Two with him. So yeah, I actually like him eventually because he's such a useful character.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's really tanky if you give him like mm-hmm. shield and axe. Yeah, or he if you give him a great sword, he's almost as good as at the hero and dealing a lot of damage.
3: Yeah, I was I was also using him with a great sword actually.
0: Yeah, um, the, my big change. From playing it now, from playing it uh, six years ago, is I had the hero main great swords instead of instead of double swords, and mm-hmm. it's 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 excellent. Swords dance with a great sword is ca- basically carried me the entire second half of the game, and so I made Hendrik more defensive, more shielding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because because axe is a pretty good move set in this game as well. But uh, um, Geo, you're also playing this for the first time. Did you sort of expect the turn from Hendrik, or uh, what? Wh- uh, what did you think of this?
2: So uh, Hendrik. Being part of the party was like kind of something I was expecting. I don't know why. I think I maybe I'd heard that it, I heard it like you know through osmosis way. like online. I I kind of felt the same way as Tanaka. Like, I didn't like him because he was such an a hole. Like during our during Act One, like it was like I I didn't trust h- either him or Jasper. But like apparently like Hendrik was pure. He was just being manipulated by mm-hmm. mordegon and by the end he kind of won me over actually uh i i went great swords with him all the way <laughs> uh um, um unbridled blade and uh Chopper were just yeah yeah crucial 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 in the, in the early yeah. goings
0: i i use helicopter uh in uh, for the hero throughout all through act one that was one of the best moves to use yeah
2: and then, although he gets like Gear Falcon Slash like later in the game, and that's busted, like that's really strong. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gr- uh, Griff Falcon Slash, right?
0: Uh, just yeah. a better version of Falcon Slash, which is already one of the best moves for a, for a uh, for a sword character. So yeah, uh, totally makes sense.
3: Oh, can I can I add something? Uh, it, it also bothered me that he kind of somewhat looks like he reminds me of Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, is it, it cuz he has a he has
2: sort of a um is it cuz he has a very square jaw?
3: Yeah, yeah, bit? and also yeah. the purple hair. I don't
2: know. Oh yeah, cuz like Buzz Lightyear has that like yeah. the thing on his head like yeah.
3: Yeah, it it was bothering me.
0: Wes, I don't know if you can transport yourself back to 2018, but how unexpected um if at all was Hendrik joining the team right at the beginning of Act 2.
4: It was pretty unexpected to me um because I felt like the game very clearly showed you who the whole party was from the be- the beginning. They had all the art, they had the loading screens, and stuff like that tricks me very easily. Uh, it's also tricked me in other games that I won't name for spoiler reasons when they when they show you a full party and it doesn't include someone, I always I always fall for it. And Hendrick, I was especially glad about, though, uh, because I had an Axe character, and him with Axe and Great Shield is just the ultimate defensive character. Um, it's the first time in a Dragon Quest game I felt like I actually have a tank um, which was kind of an interesting change of pace that I went with this time around whereas before it would always just be pump out as much damage as possible
0: yeah I'm not I'm trying to think of like is there really a tank character in an older Dragon Quest game you, you know what I think if you do a full paladin build in Dragon Quest 9 you can do a lot of tanking activity mm-hmm. But but that's a game that's sort of more about uh like building your um classes a certain way and uh and and there i guess there isn't really a lot of pure tank characters in the dragon quest games that have real
4: characters no it's not it's not something that that the series kind of builds toward the classic three character rotation it's usually more about have someone who can heal and then have three people who can deal the most damage possible
0: (laughs) yeah and um I think we alluded to this in the previous episode. Um, every each of the main characters in Dragon Quest XI represents one of the jobs in Dragon Quest III, uh, and and all of them are represented there except for uh, the merchant, who's your who's Eric's old buddy Dirk, and um and and the and the warrior. We which is like oh that's weird. We have every job here except for warrior. But then nope, Hendrix your warrior right at the beginning of Act Two.
4: He can uh, even get the uh, kind of classic Ragnar looking armor
0: <laughs> yeah he can get the um the the reddish or pink dragon quest three and four warrior armor yep and uh but but that's his uh that, that's something for the end game but uh continuing through the main game um a- after you defeat the skeleton at the uh in uh helidor castle uh you you have a couple paths open to you you can i think the second character that joins you is either rab or Silvando, depending on which continent you go to first and then you need and then once you get both of them you can get sylvando's ship which mm-hmm. and so the character after rab and sylvando are either eric or jade and then after those two the um the seventh character that's guaranteed to join you is uh is is serena and then that gets you uh all the way back to Arboria uh with where the next major plot moment happens but uh before we get to those let's talk about the re-recruiting or revisiting of all of the areas from uh, all the towns from act one something is happening in basically every town that you have to either resolve or figure out or uh, um or, or encounter I, I mean some of them maybe are skippable but i think most of them aren't for the most part you sort of have to do something in every town uh in order to continue the game. Um, is there any single anecdote or single character recruitment that's uh, that stood out to you guys? I'll, I'll let you think about it, and, and, and I'll go first. Because, again, my I think it's well-documented. My favorite character in Dragon Quest XI is Silvando. And what happens with Silvando <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning of this game? It's so fitting. And you get the, the, the parade of young and middle-aged men. <laughs> <laughs> just just uh just running all through phenomenon and eventually uh Puerto Valor is so funny. And if you if you play the Silvando scenario um in the S version, which I think is PC or Switch uh and maybe they did a ps4 as well as well of that um you actually meet the individual members of the entourage and it's like oh the one that plays the drum actually was a drummer in uh in galopolis and (laughs) the one the one that's a middle-aged guy with a beard is really a middle-aged guy that just that that, uh that like helped you build the tank that you travel on and it's it's completely silly you even get a costume for the hero that has you prancing along with him um Silvando is just a uh, pure riz, uh, to you know, to you know, to be very Gen Z about it. His recruitment arc was equally parts hilarious and somehow touching because Silvando re- uh, reconciling with his dad is really, really sweet in this game.
2: <laughs> it, it really is. I loved it. Like, and uh, I, I just love um, how, uh, like, we see him, like, we catch him, like, dancing with the Silvando's. Um, True. Uh, yeah, like a little troop. Like later on, uh, sorry, I just wanted to say that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, his dad's name is Rodrigo, and the, one of the one of my favorite scenes in the game is when Hendrik realizes that he knows <laughs> he he knew Silvando when, when they were young, <laughs> because <laughs> because yeah. Silvando's uh, birth name is Norberto, uh and when he when uh, Silvando says, "Oh, we should go visit my my dad in Puerto valor He's a famous knight," and here at Hendrik, who trained with Rodrigo as a child, was wait famous knight puerto valor <laughs> you're his son and then there's just like a like a like an, an anvil dropping side effect when he realizes that he that his old sparring partner from his teenage years was a young silvando but um so the, 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 the circumstances of silvando leaving was silvando was being trained to be a swordsman by his dad but then when the circus came to down he escaped with them to be a circus performer because his he loves to entertain and didn't want to it didn't uh want to just be a knight like his dad but he's because he had like knighthood and honor and swordsmanship instilled in him um i think i think the player well the game hints that uh rodrigo hates that silvando uh is isn't a knight anymore but that's not really what happens when they reconcile silvando's really nervous and rodrigo's angry but then they but then he says that it's more like it's like like no, I'm not mad at you because you left. I'm mad at you because you said you were gonna make the world smile, and the world's not smiling yet. Like he 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 just cared more about Silvando being true to himself and keeping his promises than about uh, than about Silvando's life choices. And they and they still love each other. So like I think it, it could have been handled poorly, but instead it's it's actually quite lovely. And yeah. uh, and and it ends with as Gio alluded to, uh, Silvando letting his um his entourage stay at uh, Don Rodrigo's house, and eventually Don Rodrigo is dancing with them, and it's, it's hilarious.
3: <laughs> I hope all dads are, li- are like
0: him. <laughs> a, uh, part of a, f- a wonderful tradition of dads with great mustaches in Dragon Quest games. Oh.
4: Phenomenal mustache on that one.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so does anyone have a recruitment arc, or even just a, 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 an ins- a single town arc from Act 2 that uh, moved them specifically?
3: I wasn't really moved, but more of like I was shocked when when I was about to recruit um Rab again when he was there on top of the mountain or something yeah. and he was like super thin. <laughs> I was like at first who's this? I was like why is he wearing Rabb's clothes? Is this Rab? I was like <laughs> wondering and I was so shocked to find out that it's actually him. And then, like in this scenario, um, uh, after actually recruiting him, uh, at at the night at night they were gonna have a feast or like, uh, they were. He, uh, it was about time for them to get some rest and eat. And the next day, he just returned to his old body. <laughs> I Was now, like now, what? now ten.
0: I know. I know you're much younger than me, but once you get to a certain age, <laughs> oh boy, you you. It, it's really hard to shed those pounds after after a big dinner. Let me tell you.
3: <laughs> but but yeah, I I really like, um, Rab uh, in this game, and so far, among all of the games that I've played, he's really the best grandpa in the RPG world for me. <laughs>
0: I mean, between—I I mean, I've said this before—but between Rab and Chalky at the big at, in Act One, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and everything you learn about the um about the, the like e- even the kings and queens in the in the previous game, there's there's a lot of great grandpas in this game.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I am uh, such a sucker for that that portion with Rob because every time the hero and Rob connect as like grandfather and grandson, it kind of yeah. gets me a little verklempt. Yeah, it's
2: um, really sweet.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And they really do that there when like they're training together with their ghostly <laughs> uh, master. Um, and Rob is kind of thrown by the idea of like, oh God, I have to fight my grandson to help him train. I don't feel <laughs> good about that, but oh well, <laughs> might as well throw myself in head first. And this this whole concept of like this monastic society that trains the kings of Dundrasil. So there's like this little bit of Kung Fu poet warrior mixed into every one of those, those Kings and Queens from what otherwise looks like a traditional, um, fantasy, you know, castle town just delights me. And we were mentioning how almost every
0: town in the game is like a fake representation of some world culture. Uh, 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 this place, which, Oh shoot, I'm forgetting what it's called. Um, where, where grandmaster pang lives angri-la uh, angri-la that's it yeah mm-hmm. angri which is i guess a pun of shangri-la is clearly a fake tibet or uh or a um you know maybe a, a fake shaolin monastery mm-hmm. and and grandmaster pang is um uh, rab's master uh who i believe is dead in act two yes um but but exists still in the spirit world and is able yeah. to train the hero and rab in the spirit world uh but it was a um, it, it was a, a surprising arc for Robin, and he even gets his um, his uh, uh, his pearly gates te- or you know spirit bomb or whatever technique <laughs> that that is really really good throughout Act Two.
4: It actually introduces a really interesting plot point where because Yggdrasil has fallen, um, lives are not getting recycled as they normally would, and most of them are going to the the afterlife and just dissipating. Um, but. Because she's so strong of will, Rob's master ends up kind of sticking around there. Uh, which is an interesting little, little twist on, you know that the world is in bad shape after Yggdrasil fell. You don't, until then, get a good feel for the fact that like it's not just the physical world that mm-hmm. really was le- leaning on relying on that tree being there
0: yeah and i mean just this beautiful tree that representing life being a a withered or burnt out husk hovering in the center of the world is a i don't know it's it's just so stark and i remember that when this game was coming out the uh um the promotional art was like you would see the world tree and it was like on one side it was beautiful and living and on the other side it was like it was like dark and burnt and i'm like oh no what, what what happens in this game what's what's gonna go on and it uh they, I mean, they, they told us right in the surface. Um, but I mean, the end result I think was still powerful. Like it, it's—I I think it's as effective as um as what happens in Final Fantasy VI.
4: Yeah, it's very World of Ruin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh Geo, you um you haven't talked about any uh, favorite scenario in Act Two yet. Do you do you have one to share with the rest of the class?
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> the Eric sequence with his sister, uh, Gilding- like the gildigga Spectral Sentinel, that whole story, like, um, it's really sweet. It's just really sweet. Like, I you know I can kind of regret, cause like I'm like the older brother in my family, so, uh, I, I know I know how it feels like to feel responsible for your younger sister, and I like that. Uh, I it was one of, one of the few twists like I didn't really expect per se. I don't know why. Like I just didn't think that they would bring this i thought the sister died it just became a statue and that's it but yeah it's really sweet and it's kind of a really human thing like to have that like for for mia the sister to have those kinds of feelings towards her brother like kind of like this jealousy or like this uh, like feeling of resentment for like abandoning her and all that
0: yeah i mean resentment and despair because uh, i mean to, to to clarify that a little bit uh in case listeners have, have forgotten or haven't played um before the events of the game eric and mia found a uh a cursed necklace that lets you turn things to stone but it sort of took over mia's body and turned her i'm sorry it turns to gold not into stone and but it sort of took over mia's body and turned her into a golden statue and uh and eric uh, left the um, the Viking camp that they lived in and was searching over the world, uh, stealing treasures to try to find a way to um, turn her back into into, hum- into being a human. And he met the Luminary and we know what went on from there. But Mordigan, while he's ruining the world around him, finds the Mia statue and sees it so full of resentment and despair that he frees her from the uh uh from the gold prison and makes her one of his spectral sentinels which are his six sort of generals a giant gold monster named gildiga and uh and defeating gildiga is and then and eric meeting mia for the first time in year in probably years is uh is one of the sort of sub scenarios in act two and and it's powerful because i mean also when you get when you meet eric in act two he starts out amnesia amnesiac but he remembers his past and tells you what happened to mia um mm-hmm. uh when you uh when you find the place where her statue once stood and then and then that's before you go and uh and and fight mia as Gildiga. but it's uh yeah it, it's it, it's real powerful and it's an, another sort of how the another element of the theme of like of of family that permeates through dragon quest 11 like like uh the hero uh the hero's relationship with his parents and grandfather jade's relationship with her father eric and his sisters livando and his father everyone in this game oh, and and veronica and and uh and serena are sisters and something happens between them like everything in this game is about sort of um n- not necessarily finding str- not necessarily struggling or reconciling but just just about familial relationships and bonds and how everyone has these family relationships but also together they're a found family um of of eight on their own i I was sort of not expecting that um the mia stuff to happen because eric had probably the least backstory of anyone Mm -hmm. go this far into the game that you knew of but then when the mia when you learn the mia stuff it really hits you like a ton of bricks It's, it's uh it's some powerful stuff and uh I kind of hate the dungeon that you fight Guildiga in because it's just nothing but golden corridors and stairs up and down and locked doors, and it's like, oh, just get me out of here.
2: I love gold. Like I just thinking of a gold member the
0: whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually smell the, bit... the texture. <laughs>
3: I was actually a bit spoiled, like because um, like when I first heard about uh, Dragon Quest Treasures. And it's also because I played the demo. It was like, oh it was actually also surprising when I played because I was like, Oh, isn't this the guy who has his sister? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, it's Mia and 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 it's Eric. It's them. <laughs> like yeah. I was so shocked as well.
2: <laughs> uh Tin played the Dragon Quest Treasures demo before she played like
0: yeah. eleven. Oh yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean I mean uh, there's a long history of dragon quest spinoffs being younger versions of characters i mean we have mm-hmm. uh, the dark prince right now with sorrow from dragon quest 4 um the original dragon quest monsters was, was terry and millie from dragon quest 6 one of the later dragon quest monsters games that i think was japan only was kieran when he was very young that's caravan heart for the GPA. Yeah. there's young yangus and young torneco taloon games it's yeah they're all over the place
3: actually like Uh, that touched uh like over the years what they do with their games they still try to like um give um some things for
2: old fans like some yeah Mm. no it's fun and
0: rewarding like i mean yeah like do you remember i mean i i don't know uh I don't know how if like if everyone was on final fantasy forums as much as I was 15 years ago, but when they announced crisis score for the PSP and we were getting a, a Zach game from like before the events of FF7, people lost their damn minds. Like when you, you have like, it's, it's fun and rewarding to see video games, like sort of explore their unspoken past, Mm -hmm. uh, or, or like give us bonus footage of things we know happened, but, uh, didn't, but haven't seen in their proper games. Like it's, I mean, I mean, uh, it's always cool when there is a prequel or sequel. Yeah. That that is that is that is that sort of rewards fans for for uh, loving a series as much as they do. Wh- whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hope they give us Dragon Quest prequels forever.
3: I know. Even in twelve.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Whatever. Whatever shape twelve might take, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get something.
0: Yeah, we we don't know what. I don't think we've seen anything about 12 since its announcement in may 2021
2: all we know is that it's a serious adult ish version of dragon quest like that's the that's the promise but we'll see
0: i mean that's even that i think is uh is a little underexplored but uh, uh uh west are we ready to move on or is there any scenario from act two you want to bring up specifically
4: we hit the ones that i was most interested in to be honest um, we could talk about the infamy of Jade's.
0: <laughs> yeah,
4: But oh, yeah. Jade's also, just creepy. Also, maybe it's better off less left unexplored.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the best thing, I, get, I guess, about Jade is that when she finally does rejoin you, um, her move where she turns into Bunny Girl, Jade is actually pretty strong because it gives her a, a free attack boost. <laughs> but yeah, the, it's like... I, I mean, Jade uh, in Octagonia, where you fight Booga, another one of the Spectral Sentinels... Uh, he he sort of has Jade under mind control powers where she's a sexy bunny girl, and this game has a lot of sexy bunny girls in it. But I'm but I I did not enjoy uh, Jade. I did not enjoy Jade's turn as one. Um, whatever. At least it made you really want to kill Buga.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That was real
4: encouragement.
2: She wa Jade as a whole kind of felt underserved by the game, like in terms of like backstory. She we didn't get really much of a sense of. Who she was, other than she's the luminary's sister, she's King Carnelian's daughter, she's Buga's, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I, I compared to Serena and Veronica in terms of like female characters, she didn't feel like she had as much going on, which is sad
0: to me. I, I think we mentioned this in the previous episode, but they give Jade like a hundred cool moments where she's just kicking someone's ass yeah, in Act I One.
3: Think- that's how they tried to make it up for
0: (laughs) yeah so like they make jade really super cool in act one but then in act two it's it's sort of demeaning how she Mm -hmm. becomes a monster's like like pet bunny girl Mm -hmm. um but but at least when when she's freed of the mind control she's justifiably furious and 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 is back to kicking ass as part of your team again um I, I i actually build jade uh, the same way now versus six years ago uh, uh all the way martial arts and spears like she's so good with them I, i've never touched her claws tree before
4: just oomph her and watch her multi-thrust away yep
0: yeah if, if multi-thrust yeah. um uh, maybe some uh pink tornado is uh is is pretty good uh but after you get those first seven in your party including hendrik there's one person you haven't met yet, and that's Veronica. You you meet Serena right after you uh, um, open up the, uh, um, the 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 Ice Kingdom again. Is is it is it uh, it's, it's Queen Frieza and the witch Crystalinda? What's the name of the town?
4: Sniffelheim. Sniffelheim. Yeah, that's, that's it.
0: So, yeah, based off of Niflheim, the the frozen hell from Norse mythology. That's it. Yeah. Um. A- a- after you uh, take care of everything in Sniffelheim, you're able to. Uh, open up the path towards Arborea, which was covered in ice, and uh, Serena rejoins your party. You take the uh, path back to Arborea, and then maybe I think the single most devastating moment in all of Dragon Quest XI happens, where uh, you you um, you think, oh, I bet Veronica is here waiting for us. And uh, you 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 follow a Yggdrasil route and discover Veronica's lifeless body. Uh, and then the hero uh, sees a flashback, thanks to the Yggdrasil route, where um, Veronica is the one that shielded the party from Morgana's attack that destroyed the World Tree, uh, saving the other um, uh, the other six of your group, but um, she lost her life in the uh, glade in Arboria where she and Serena played as children. I, I mean, I mean, this was not something I expected until sort of just before it happened when I first played Dragon Quest XI, because Ver- Veronica is not. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say she's the most uh, she, she's the most serious character in act one. She's sort of your, your, she's sort of like your sassy little girl. She's funny. Um, she, like it's, it, it, there's the contrast of, of um, Serena being the younger, more demure sister, while Veronica is the older sister, even though they appear, she appears to be 10 years younger than her twin. Um, she's, she's very, uh, uh, she has a bold personality but and so for her to be the one that is that tragically loses her life, just I, I don't know, it, it just seems wrong and, and yeah, it feels and, unfair and and feels unfair. Exactly. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it results in Serena sort of dramatically cutting off her hair in what we call a Final Fantasy nine moment mm-hmm. <laughs> and borrowing Veronica's powers to be uh, super Serena for the rest of act two. The most but,
4: powerful character in the game. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
0: It's unfair uh, that she get that she can heal and use spell echo at the same time, but uh, I mean, I mean, what do we think of this? Uh, uh, Tin, Were you? Did you know this was going to happen ahead of time? Like, uh, like, like Mia and Eric?
3: Not at all. Uh, uh, when I when I already got when I reached to that part when I was already hearing uh, Serena uh, Serena playing the harp, I was also like um, uh, excited to meet the both of them but i was also surprised that oh how come it's just serena where's veronica and i was already starting to get worried a bit, uh, a bit and then after a while uh, it, it the game just broke me i i was just crying <laughs> uh after a while and uh it also really made me cry more when um everyone was already like grieving and Serena was just still trying to be strong yeah yes. trying to be strong and all that so yeah that cutting of hair also made me cry mm-hmm. <laughs> that scene so it also didn't make sense to me that like what you said earlier that Veronica was like the strong one and all that but then uh, it after a while I also realized that it it was also kind of like Serena's awakening thing, like a moment for her. Like it, it was clearly obvious uh, in Act One that um, uh, Serena also felt underbaked, like even in Act One, and like I barely actually used her as well in in my party because I didn't think I needed that much healing as
0: well. I I only, would only use her for certain boss fights, really, but for yeah, for, yeah. Ra- for random battles, I almost never use Serena. She doesn't yeah. know Hustle Dance. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't so... know Oomph for Hustle Dance. What are you talking about?
3: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I actually still like how it played out, but um, at first, I was also just... It also took some time before I, I finally appreciated uh the new Serena.
0: When you say new Serena, I just think of Like a Dragon again. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for having Like a Dragon on the brain. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I totally agree. It's uh, And there's even a scene in act, at the end of Act 1 when you're traveling up Yggdrasil and you take a break in the final campsite before uh, before Act 1 ends, where Serena and Veronica... Um, in oh, their yeah. tent, like like a uh, promise to always be there for each other, mm-hmm. and Veronica sort of like dismisses her. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course I'll be here for you. Of course, yeah. no matter what. And that and that's um foreshadowing. I did not see at the time when I first played this game, but now that I knew it was coming, playing it uh, this year was just like, oh no, yeah. oh no, I, I know what's about to happen. That just is uh, that just enhances the moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I honestly think the scene losing Veronica is about as emotionally affecting as the series has been. Like, maybe this side of Dragon Quest V. Like, it it stings in a mm-hmm. pretty major way.
0: Tanya, you gotta you got to play Dragon Quest V. That's that's, that's
4: a really good one. <laughs> I keep telling yeah, her. You yeah, you keep telling me. I, I would. It's top tier. It's not my absolute favorite in the series, but I acknowledge its greatness.
3: <laughs> but yeah, I was told that... Uh... I have to prepare myself emotionally as well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, losing Veronica is one of the most devastating moments in the whole game. But at least we get super Serena out of it. And after this event, we're pointed in the direction of heavens above. A uh, and basically, I mean, it happens a little fast, but we just magically gain the ability to summon a giant whale and fly around the and and fly around around the world.
4: I... Um, one of the better methods of sky. Uh, conveyance that I've seen in a game. Yeah, I mean, the last time we had a flying whale was maybe Tales of
0: Vesperia, and before that, we—I mean—you got to think of Final Fantasy IV, right? Yeah, that's proud company to be in. But um, you uh, you learn that there's a uh, a a community of Watchers that has been uh, supporting the the Luminary for centuries, and and uh, but this one's been ruined by Mordagon, and there's only one surviving little child Watcher, uh, which is. Which is a uh, child watcher sounds horrible. That, 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 that was a mistake. <laughs> my heart. Um, but uh, but the 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 heavens above area gives you guidance for what you need to do next, and uh, it's to um find the mystic hammer, the magical orichalcum, and the uh, and the and the fires of Mount Hoto to reforge a new sword of light because mm-hmm. uh, Mordagon took the sword of white and transformed it into a sword of darkness, uh, in. Uh, just before destroying the um, the world tree, so uh, and that has you revisiting events in Galapagos, uh, Hato, and uh, and and also explore a new dungeon called the Battleground, which is um, only accessible from the air, and and uh, this is basically the end of Act Two. Um, you now that you're able to fly, you're able to re- very easily uh, travel around the world quickly um, and explore some hidden areas, get some new get some new equipment. There is a sort of a um, everyone let's do this together moment when you when you reforge a new sort of light. Yeah. And then you uh, take on the uh, uh dungeon, the Fortress of Fear, which is a, a pretty meaty final dungeon. You have to shatter the ceiling of every uh, floor that, mm-hmm. and then and then you borrow a flying enemy to fly up to the next floor and clear it out. It's it, it, it's it's arranged in a pretty cool manner. Um, and then, then you eventually have to like unlock the get the final key to unlock the treasure room on the first floor. And if you miss any treasure in the Fortress of Fear, you can find it in Act Three, hidden in some new treasure chests, which is which is an, a nice touch. Um, but finally, confronting Mordagon, and and also Jasper is the second to last boss in the uh, in Fortress mm-hmm. of Fear. The uh, and you get some nice moments out of Hendrik when you finally mm-hmm. take down Jasper for the first time. I mean, was talking about how. Like family bonds and found family are a theme in Dragon Quest XI. Um, I think Hendrik really did view Jasper as a brother, but uh, Jasper really only viewed viewed Hendrik as a rival and a and and maybe someone that was unfairly lucky. Which is the imbalance of their relationship is I don't know. It, it's it's tragic and adds some depth to Hendrik's character, but it, it doesn't make uh, it any less satisfying to kick Jasper's ass. Yeah, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I I just think the end game of Act 2 is is really pretty cool. It is cool. And you fight some half dragon half demon nonsense at the end when Mordagon shows you his final form.
2: Yeah, it actually works so well as an ending like mm-hmm. you know, I could I couldn't understand why people just stopped there. Um I I and I have no idea how they managed to pull off Act 3 after that, but they did, which is really cool, but um yeah I actually really like how Mordagon works as a final boss, like with the more dragon thing and how you kind of have to um, manage both or else they come back or something. and um, yeah, it's it's really cool. I, I thought it was like one of the better quote unquote final bosses I've played, especially in Dragon Quest.
0: Yeah, a lot of people do think that Act three is unnecessary or even view it negatively i am not one of those people but it is chatter that you see um in dragon quest discussions and communities and and we're going to talk about act three i promise but uh i I also have heard of people not realizing there's an act three because i mean after the end of act two credits do roll
4: Mm -hmm. and there
0: is some some hope in the ending but i mean the world is still destroyed and, and the and the world tree is still dead and and like wes mentioned earlier this means the world state is one where um where new lives won't be renewed. Uh, And I don't know how that can affect childbirth or anything in this world. Excuse me, They don't go quite into the biological implications of what that means.
4: This is some near level of dystopia that we're dealing with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a real rough dystopia um, at the end of act two. And act three is sort of a way of fixing it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I I mean, we don't need to dwell on act two anymore. I think Uh, at the beginning of act three, you um, discover some artifacts that suggest that maybe you can use the Sword of Light to travel back in time. And at first, your party is interested in it because maybe they can go back in time and prevent this tragedy from happening. But then uh, when you meet the Keeper of Time um, at the end of a clock dungeon, uh, they say that there's it's impossible to go back, only one person can go back, and it's and it might mean that the world uh the current world you're living in you're living in might be destroyed for this new world and it's and in your your team your, the rest of your party actually after they hear that they try to stop you mm-hmm. but um regardless the luminary persists and uses the sword of light to travel back in time to just before the world ends to prevent it from occurring um and and a lot of people, because of the implication that uh, everyone that it, it undoes everything that happens in Act Two, um, these these relationships are no more like they never happened, um, like especially Hendricks' relationship. Like Hendrick did not does not go through the same struggle and and reconciliation in Act Three that he went through in Act Two, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But because I I, I actually love Act Three because the idea of the world being broken, you struggling to save the world, and then getting a chance to unbreak the world and and create a world that's better for people to live in is appealing to me at some level, but it was upsetting to a lot of fans. Um, um What were y'all's reactions? Uh, you first, Wes.
4: Honestly, it, it fits Dra- Dragon Quest as a series. It's that heroic fantasy that you want to live out at the end of every Dragon Quest game. Uh, I don't think a lot of long-time series fans... Will necessarily be as upset by it um, as a lot of people who are used to you know other more recent RPGs getting into the series through this game because that that kind of heroic fantasy has always been a part of Dragon Quest there's always been kind of a darker edge to elements of Dragon Quest but ultimately it is kind of a hero's journey and this kind of completes that hero's journey as it gives you that extra that extra chance to to kind of push into an actual happy ending because when you really think about the end of Act Two, that's not a good place uh, to leave the world in.
3: Uh, well, same for same for me. I also do like the uh, what they did that Act Three is also just an optional thing to do, but at the same time, uh, after playing Act Three, that's when you'd realize, not oh, this is really the. The ending that everyone should get, like that's what I felt.
2: Mm. Uh, I had some qualms, like about how maybe it would undo some of like the character development for like Hendrik and Serena, and I was I wondered till the end, like how come they didn't just like uh, kind of like let the party members retain their memories somehow? But at the end of the day it's like it's the hero's journey it's it's the luminary story and um it's still kind of they still kind of made it satisfying somehow at the end despite i kind of understand like just the people's complaints about how it kind of makes a lot of act Two not irrelevant but like it undoes some of the important events that take place in act two and i don't know it, it just works that's all I can really say.
0: It, it sort of reminds me of the plot of Dragon Quest Seven, which, uh, you know, oversimplifying it a little bit, the world is sort of broken and you reassemble it like with literal puzzle pieces to rebuild the world. I, I, and Wes, I know it's more complicated than that. But we don't need to get into it right now. Um, uh, and and uh, but I just just the idea of seeing the world in its original state in Act One, then seeing it breaking and struggling and dying in Act Two and then recontextualizing it in act three where it's still struggling, but it, but you, you saved it from being broken and now need to, and now need to prevent the next tragedy from happening. Cause there are stakes and a, and a conflict in act three, of course. Um, it was satisfying to me, like, but to, to um, focus on the plot of it a little bit, uh, bec- because the hero knows exactly when Jasper is going to attack and, uh, and because he has a powerful sword that can withstand his attack, uh, you, basically defeat Jasper in a boss fight right at the beginning of Act 3. Um, Mordigan does not reveal himself to be possessing King Carnelian. Uh, you go back to to Heliodor to celebrate. Carnelian tries to kill you in your sleep, but you're able to stop him because you're half expecting it. And also one of the little time ghosts uh, sort of alerts you. Uh, that time ghost ends up being shockingly important in this game. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and and you're able to um, out, oust Morg- Mordigan from carnelian defeat him and uh and and basically prevent the uh Mordigan's apocalypse from happening but then that little time ghost uh reveals itself to be a messenger of uh of kalasmos the dark one that was allegedly defeated by the hero erdwin a thousand years ago or hundreds of years ago whatever the i don't know what the exact timeline is uh and it's 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 all very messy and confusing but um in act two there's a scene where uh Erdwin, the, Erdwin's lantern the sort of the, the second moon in the sky is about to fall and land on on uh galopolis but uh Mordigan destroys it uh and then and it's revealed in act three that that was actually not um not just a lantern or a star or a moon it is the sealed dark one Kalasmos. uh and the reason Mordigan knew to destroy it was because Mordigan is one of the hero's companions, Morcant, from uh from the time of the of the previous hero. And there it goes into a huge drama where the, these four characters that you've learned about in Acts 1 and 2, the hero Erdwin, the sage Serenica, the uh warrior Drustan, and the sorcerer Morcant, um, were the original hero's party, but Morcant, out of some jealousy and because of the of, of sort of whispering into his ear, uh decides to um uh to to kill um Erdwin and take Kalasmos' power for for himself and uh in in that pursuit of power he becomes Mordegon, but a small part of his soul that was still good separated from uh um Mordigan's body to sort of remain as the human Morkant and Morkant's good soul is the seer that guided Eric and the luminary and others quietly in a few scenes in acts one and two so that those strange dream sequences when you talk to a mysterious transforming woman that was actually the the rem- the remnants of Morcant's soul trying to prevent Mordagon from destroying the world again <laughs> it's real it's real, it's real surreal it's a, it's it's uh, it's as weird as Dragon Quest has gotten over the uh as in in my memory at least but th- these odd circumstances meshing together uh revisiting what happened uh in the time of Erdwin, Results in a world state where mordagon has gone. Um, the your entire team of eight is back together. The havens above, or the heavens above area, uh, is is not was never destroyed by Mordagon. So the uh, the little watchers there are able to guide you into and and even give you all of your levels back that you gained in Act Two, <laughs> uh, to you know handle the new challenges of Act Three. And in I think in every single town, other than maybe Heliodor there's something new to do to, to make yourself stronger and prepare yourself for fighting Kalasmos. And uh, I mean, there's a couple things you sort of have to do to um, you have to find these three uh, Yggdrasil roots that'll, that teach you about what happened with Erdwin and how they were able to, you uh, to add armor to the flying whale to destroy the barrier around Kalasmos. So you unlock the ability to fight Kalasmos pretty early, but they encourage you to go out into the world and, do as much stuff as you can before fighting him and uh and but it, it's, it's kind of crazy what happens like if you go to angry law grandmaster pang was never killed by the explosion of Yggdrasil. she's there uh not a just a spirit and it like fully living to train the hero and rab and uh and get a, a bunch of new abilities and equipment for for passing her trials and um uh Hato n- never had never had its volcano go off early so uh the um the priest the the priestess of Hato, who's trying to save her son who was turned into a dragon um is able to save him without without killing him like like mm-hmm. you do in uh in the in the act two storyline in Hato. so it's it's there's something new to do in every area of the game and uh it's it's real weird real crazy uh I I I loved it. Like I spent way too long in act 3 just forging ultimate equipment. Um uh ex- re-exploring every area. Uh the weirdest retcon in act 3 is that um is that the the mermaid is able to survive the events <laughs> of act 2 even if even if she was turned into sea foam in act 1 Depends on what choice you made. But uh you can even like sort of put a new ending to that story. It's uh I'm 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 rambling and I'm sorry, but uh was there any part of act 3 that stood out to you guys as being particularly interesting or satisfying, uh, uh, before fighting Kalasmos?
2: Oh, I mean, so much of it was great. Uh, I like, uh, one thing I like about Act 3 is that the, they don't really play out like side quests that you can track like conventionally. Like you kind of have to do some thinking, like for example, the cobblestone rebuilding quest. Like Gemma, like you talk to Gemma in like the ruins of cobblestone, and like she gives you like some clues, like as to where, where, what kinds of people need to be in the town to like rebuild it. But it's up to you to like put together the pieces, and it's been it was fun for me to like kind of like explore the world, trying to like you know trying to follow leads, like figure out who exactly she met, and uh, it's rewarding too because like at the end, like you can. Uh, you can make uh, because of that. Like when it connect, it connects to like the Dresden labyrinth thing that you have to do, and uh, you can make Gemma. Like at least in the original game, you can make Gemma like your partner for life. It's like a really sweet moment. Even though I don't like Gemma, I don't like Gemma for hero. I mean, I want Eric for hero. In the uh, in in
0: in the S version, um, they they never say wedding or marriage, but you do get to instead of marrying Gemma, you get to choose which of your party members is going to be your uh, your your new roommate or life partner. And uh you get a you get a, a even a specific cutscene for each one of them. Uh, oh, so I cool. I naturally picked Silvando. It was adorable. <laughs> uh like I, I you can basically talk to talk talk me into any of them becoming your roommate except for maybe Rab, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is at least worth going through once and then YouTubing the other six or seven however, however many there are uh but yeah yeah a part of the things you can unlock in act 3 is a a new challenge area called Tristan's labyrinth where which has you revisit dungeons from earlier in the game that are recontextualized usually you have to go through them backwards with new enemies and new treasure but um every time you complete the labyrinth once you get a wish from Tristan which uh and and one of the wishes is to um is, is to become life partners with one of your uh, party members. And eventually, if you get every single wish, he gives you the uh, alchemy recipes for the most powerful uh, weapons in the game. Oh, you,
2: you did that, right? So oh, fun. yeah, no,
0: I, I, I did it. I didn't get um, every single uh, uh, lov- uh, rank four transforming weapon. I think I only got four or five of them because mm-hmm. you need a lot of uber agates of evolution to, uh, to get all nine or however many there are i think the ultimate version of every single weapon except for the great sword and maybe the uh and yeah i think it's every every weapon except for maybe the great sword and wand i think are found in that uh in an evolving weapon um there's 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 sort of two best wands one heals m p every turn one heals h p every turn you can have serena dual wield them if you really want to um and the best great sword is obtained by uh defeating the last um angry law trial
2: Um, oh that was another fun thing to do yeah yeah
0: exactly yeah the angry law trials are like series of boss fights that get real crazy and you you get better rewards for defeating them in certain numbers of turns so the classic thing to do is you got to have uh you got to pep up everyone beforehand have um serena and veronica on one team so they can super magic burst one one battle to just end it in one turn (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah
0: um a lot of uh pink typhoon and pink and pink tornado spamming Uh, it's, it it gets, they're pretty fun, but, um, getting the best great sword at the end was a requirement for me since I had my hero maining great swords. Uh, but yeah, I, I got, um, most of the ultimate weapons, but I only, I think I only upped a couple of them to their final stage just because I didn't want to grind for Uber agates of evolution. Whew. That was a lot in a row. I'm sorry, but yeah, the, the Dresden's labyrinth and the, the, the life partner scenes that you unlock in cobblestone are really, really sweet. And, uh, and yeah, re- rebuilding cobblestone is one of the better side quests in Act 3. Totally agree. You unlock the best armor in the, armor shop in the game uh, once you finally fully rebuild it.
3: Uh, like for me, I personally didn't really have a favorite one among all of them. But what I really adore in this game is that it made me love to do backtracking. <laughs> like in other games, I wasn't really a fan of doing a lot of backtracking stuff. But... In the first act of the game, you, you you recruit all of these members scattered all around uh, the world. And and then in the second part, you, you gather them again one by one. And it's crazy that in Act 3, you still go back to each of these sounds and there's still so much things to do. And... Instead of feeling like, oh, it's such a pain in the ass, I have to go back to this. It, I, I didn't feel that at all. And uh, they, just, they just managed to make you more curious now oh, I should check out this area. Maybe has, they have something new to, um, to show or something. So that, that's, that's the thing that I, I really like in this game.
0: Yeah, they, they because there's something new in literally every town. It makes re, uh, revisiting them act to act really, uh, really valuable and rewarding, especially in Act Three. Mm-hmm. But here's the real question, Wes. I know this is a game you've played. What has the better post
4: game, Lunar Two or Dragon Quest Eleven? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I kind of want to say Dragon Quest Eleven just because it's the rewards at the end, the completion like of the story, all of it makes the game feel more complete to me. Whereas lunar two doesn't necessarily feel incomplete. I only brought that up because I, I know you're a big lunar fan, uh, yeah. uh,
0: Wes, as am I. And lunar two was my answer to what game has the best post game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Until dragon quest 11, because it's just it, like, I, I, it's so much fun. It's rewarding doing, uh, everything like revisiting every area. There's something new to discover. And it just it, it may and it make it ends with a credit sequence that I think we talked about at the very beginning of this episode, yeah. where it goes through every Dragon Quest game in the credits in its original uh, version, usually with Japanese text. That it just has you feel every ounce of nostalgia that the series can possibly squeeze out of you all at once, and it's so powerful. And it it, it ends with the hero giving the sword of light to uh the the time ghost that was inhabiting the um uh the the hourglass that had that had you go back in time beforehand because the you eventually learned that it was in fact serenica the uh the the, the sage that was in love with erdwin the hero and uh and um erdwin is similar to uh Erdric, the hero name for dragon quest 3 and in, in japanese the the, the dragon quest 3 hero is roto and it's and uh the hero here is roshu and uh you give he gives uh, Serenica, the sword, and she uses it to go back in time to prevent Ro- to prevent Roshu slash Erdwin's death um before the events of uh of Dragon Quest XI can happen. And for and briefly I was worried because because I was thinking, oh, does that mean that nothing happens in Dragon Quest XI at all? Does it undo the entire history of the game? But then there's a post-game scene where the hero, Veronica, and Ser- and Serena um meet the uh the dragon at the center of the uh of the Yggdrasil. I think it's called the egg dragon. And it, that's another Dragon Quest 3 reference because there's the the egg dragon or egg dragon. That's a uh, that's one of the gods of the world there too. But basically it I, I I think that ending tells us that um we're always in search of lost time, which is uh, another subtitle of this game. And uh and and like like if you had the power to do that, would you? is it worth it if if it destroys an entire other world, but then they tell you, Oh, it doesn't dis- destroy the entire other world. Cause even though you sent Serenica back in time and she prevented history from occurring, um, the world of the luminary and Serena and Veronica is still ongoing. So I think that, that, that comforted me a little bit when I realized like, Oh, okay. So the, the world I left behind at the end of act two is not gone and destroyed. They're, they're still living on just without, just without the luminary. But it also uh, it gives you this really sweet ending where, uh, where the, like Serenica never has to live through her thousand years of tragedy. And then it flashes forward to a, uh, a woman's voice saying, Cooey, Cooey, time to wake up, which is the very opening scene of Dragon Quest III. So it, it posits a world where there's multiple branches of a timeline or time tree going on at once and in the events of dragon quest 11 you create the events of dragon quest 3 it's it's bonkers to say that out loud but i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that's what's going on for most of what of what's going on here and is what i'm saying making sense or am i have i truly devolved into being a crazy rambling video game podcaster because because
2: that may be true (laughs) no it makes total sense actually i didn't realize what you said like that that um the world of act two kind of lives on i I didn't get that out of the ending but it makes a lot of sense and it and it's um uh comforting (laughs) because like i wanted i wanted a world where serena got kind of got to have that development in her character so i like that
4: yeah it's not really gone it's just it's just not the luminary story to see that through yeah I mean, I, I, so many moments in this game
0: made made tears well up in my eyes. Whether it's the hero, uh, the Luminary meeting Chalky in a flashback, or Rab remembering what happened to his daughter, or uh, Serena losing Veronica, or even the Luminary seeing Veronica again and just be and just being awestruck by seeing her alive again. Um, everything that happens in the Mermaid side quest, uh, the end credits where you see, uh, you know, thirty uh, or yeah, 35 year or plus years of Dragon Quest play out and uh, and ending with like, like Serenica and Erdwin getting the Romeo and Juliet slow run towards each other at the end. <laughs> uh, You know, like the, the, the Tchaikovsky ballet, da, 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 da. like, like getting that together, just everything about this game just tugs at the heartstrings and at nostalgia in a uh in a way that was so effective. It, it really is it feels like sort of a culmination of Dragon Quest that makes me so curious what their approach is for Dragon Quest Twelve is going to be because like like Dragon Quest Eleven is about memory and nostalgia and family, Dragon Quest Twelve promises not to be that. Uh, does anyone have any any idea for like I mean we, I mean we we we're, we're told that it's going to be a darker, different Dragon Quest. Before we end the episode, I, I want you to give me one Dragon Quest hope sorry one dragon quest 12 hope that you have because we have very little other than a subtitle the flames of fate right now uh, does anyone have any ideas or hopes
4: i'm hoping that it doesn't fall too far down the mature rabbit hole it still has that optimism and hope that i maintain as part of the the series dna um because mature doesn't have to mean just dour depressing and violent and sometimes the video game industry doesn't remember that <laughs> So I, I want to see mature, but still, still true to Dragon Quest DNA like that.
3: Uh, everything that happened in DQ11, uh, I really have no clue what do they plan to do in 12, which makes me really excited because it. I like it when I have zero clue on what's gonna happen next or what do they even plan to do and how are they gonna top 11 <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah I, I don't think they're gonna go smaller in a ele- in 12 after 11 was so successful because i mean this was a mega hit like a lot of people for yeah. not just 10 i think 11 was their first dragon quest game because mm-hmm. it made a pretty big splash in 2018 and it's playable on most platforms now and uh it was you know critically successful and i think financially successful. The, the, Dragon Quest Twelve has maybe bigger shoes to fill than any Dragon Quest game period, because I, I think there was a, a spike in popularity after Dragon Quest Eight and Nine because they were hugely successful and on successful platforms. But Eleven might be following Eleven. I think this is maybe the most popular Dragon Quest has ever been worldwide. So mm-hmm. I don't know what Twelve is going to do. I think they will try to do something different. I I, I just hope that we get you know. A little bit more than.
3: I'm actually hoping that that music is still there. <laughs> like,
4: <laughs> you've really brought it back like, around for us. I'm, I'm
0: telling you, like there are twenty <laughs> <laughs> battle themes in Like a Dragon: Infinite Wealth. I would just love for them to be more than two or three in Dragon Quest
4: Twelve. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, hopefully, um, they would really add more <laughs> music to <laughs> or at least maybe
4: not use it during cutscenes.
3: yeah that could yeah, be an like improvement
4: well i mean i
0: i am hoping that dragon quest 12 represents a musical evolution in the series that dragon quest 11 maybe didn't have but uh one thing i do know i believe in is that i am so glad i replayed this game for the podcast and got to talk about it with such a delightful panel uh, thank you so much west and ngo for uh joining me on this very nostalgic revisit of what I've said over and over is probably my favorite video game of the entire 2010s. Um, it was a delight uh, playing this game again and a delight talking to y'all about it. So thank you for that.
3: Oh, I'm happy to be here. And I'm, I'm glad I finally played uh, the Q11. And it was also my first game of the year. So it, it's <laughs> like the bar is pretty high.
4: For yeah, heck of a Q1 game for right your first now. one of the year yeah if you, if
0: you really want to feel let down, play Dragon Quest 2
2: next
4: Well <laughs> you can see the highs and the lows
2: you know i I don't understand this uh, for Dragon Quest 2. like I thought it was just like more more of the same like from the first one.
0: You know, Dragon Quest 2 is not bad. I just genuinely hate the last two hours of it because you have to do road road to Rone and then road Rone castle and then five bosses in a row, maybe six bosses in a row, I'd have to double-check that, <laughs> uh, w- without any ability to heal or save between any of them.
4: Oh, oh see. See. Yeah, yeah.
0: Drag- yeah and, and I played it, um, I never finished it on the NES. I ended up uh, playing that on the Game Boy Color for the first time. Where it's probably worse
4: on the NES. Yeah, the, um, the problem is that like one of the blessings of Dragon Quest I is it's mercifully brief. Like Maybe mercifully brief is overstating it a little bit. But, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome for how simplistic it is. And Dragon Quest 2 does not have a commiserate increase in complexity for how much longer and more involved it is. And those last two hours are just Final yeah, Fantasy it's... 3 levels of brutal.
0: Yeah, Dragon Quest 2 is twice as higher. long and twice as hard as the first one. And I mostly blame the, uh, the your second character from dying all the time.
4: <laughs> yeah, fair.
0: <laughs> oh, man, like, screw the Prince of Cannock. But all right, if I'm talking about my frustrations of about a 1987 RPG that, uh, and, and not our, a beloved 2018 RPG. I think we've reached the end of the podcast. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this two episode dragon quest 11 journey, a hero's journey of uh, like, like the, that, that compares to a few other games of its era. And, uh, I, but I think we're probably done talking about dragon quest, uh, for a while on this podcast, unless we're talking about, you know, another game inspired by dragon quest. <laughs> We're do, um, Next, I'm not sure exactly what the order is going to be, but the next two weeks of Retro Encounter are going to be one spoiler cast on Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, the game I was playing for most of February after playing Dragon Quest XI for most of January, um, and then an episode on Dragon Age 2 to follow up our Dragon Age Oranges episodes um, from December. So uh, the Year of the Dragon continues into March with Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth and Dragon Age 2. And after those two games, we are going to play Final Fantasy 4 for the podcast, which is, I don't know, pretty high up on our list of I can't believe you haven't played that game yet for Retro Encounter. Um, so uh, and there's, you know, Dragoons and Dragons and Dra- in Final Fantasy 4. But I think that pretty much marks the end of our Year of the Dragon celebrations, um, because after Final Fantasy 4, we haven't finished planning out most of April yet. But I believe that it will have a Final Fantasy VII Rebirth episode, and probably also a Musou slash Warriors episode, well, where I who? might where I might talk about a different Dragon Quest game when <laughs> uh, when that one comes around. So. Yeah, that's what we're doing in Retro Encounter through April. Um, but it, we're not the only podcast on the RPG Fan Podcast Network. There's also Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and what games are playing as well as Rhythm Encounter about rhythmness and RPG music. You can review or rate Retro, Random, and Rhythm Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or however you listen to podcasts. But RPG Fan is not only a podcast network. We are a website, rpgfan.com, where we post articles every day, a Discord server where we have chats going on every day, and and um, also, presences on multiple social media locations such as Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, always called either RPG Fan or RPG Fancom. Um, but also, another great way to support RPG Fan is to go to slash shop, where we have an, a, an apparel store hosted by T Public where you can get RPG Fan shirts mugs, baby onesies, phone cases and all manner of uh, things emblazoned with the RPG fan Emerald Shield, as well as a link to Hyperplay RPG where you can buy, uh, which is a UK based publisher where you can buy um, RPG fans first official book, a bound tome of over 300 pages of one page review cards showing um, over 25 years of RPG fan reviews. I think, oh boy, Wes, you and I both have reviews in that one.
4: Yes, absolutely.
0: It, it's, an, it's an amazing tome, and I absolutely recommend you picking one up from HyperPlay RPG um, if you have the time and funds to do so. But uh, if, you have the t- if you have the time to do so, we would love to have you reach out to, um, to us as a podcast by emailing retro at rpgfan.com or reaching out to us as individuals on our social media accounts. How can they, the folks find us? Let's tell them, starting with you, Geo.
2: Yeah, you can find me at Geo on Discord. I I go by Geo there. And then you can also email me at uh, geo at rpgfan.com.
4: Now Wes. You can find me on Twitter at Wes on Blue Sky at Lone Weasel, or occasionally on Discord where I'm just Wes. Now Tin.
3: Oh, you can just also find me on RPG Fan Discord. My name there is just Tin.
0: And listeners, if you want to find me on the internet, the easiest way to do so is to go to either Instagram, Bluesat, Blue Sky, or RPG Fans Discord. On all three of which, I am called Evoker for Dogs. So, yeah, I guess this dragon's journey is over, and I feel good that I didn't accidentally call it Dragon Age a <laughs> single time, because all the times I did call it Dragon Age, I've definitely edited it out. <laughs> didn't happen once. Didn't happen a single time. I promise. Thank you, good night, and good luck.